So that will take us into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, The Secret of the Ooze, released March 22nd, 1991, less than one year after the first movie. It was again uh, written by Todd W. Langan. This time it was directed by Michael Pressman, who's primarily a TV director. It stars virtually no humans that we saw in the first film. (laughs) I thought so. Francois Chow takes over as Shredder. Paige Turco is now April O'Neil, and Ernie Reyes Jr. stars as the new character, Kino. Casey Jones is not in this film because he was a bad role model because he uses everyday sports equipment to beat people up, and that was uh, replicated by children. (sighs) There were many public outcries against the Turtles, which I don't think seem violent now because I think all children's entertainment is pretty violent now. (laughs) But at the time, yeah, this was actually very, like controversial like parents were not happy about the ninja turtles judith hogue was also replaced because she complained about the first film so she just was not invited back (laughs) and this movie also stars uh, david warner as professor jordan perry should i know who that is he's from titanic so yes oh david warner is he's a good guy (laughs) i don't know he's he's a reliable like character actor There were also replacements in the voice cast. Leonardo and Michelangelo were the same, but Raphael was now voiced by Lori Faso, and Donatello was voiced by Adam Carl because Corey Feldman was in rehab. Oh, that's why. I was like, they couldn't get Corey Feldman money for the sequel? Oh. And uh, the wrestler Kevin Nash also appeared as Super Shredder. Uh, You might know him from Magic Mike. He played Tarzan. Oh, (laughs) I like that. I do indeed know him. Yeah, he's pretty great in Magic Mike. Yeah, he's great. He is fantastic in that movie. (laughs) So this movie cost about twice as much as the first one. It was $25 million. Worldwide, it made $78.7 million. So quite a bit less than the first one, but still a decent hit. It was slightly less well-reviewed than the first one as well. Dave Kerr of the Chicago Tribune said, This is fertile metaphorical territory, staked with references to childhood psychology quite as knowing and sophisticated as those of the classic Disney features. The turtles play on the adolescent boy's sense of awkward difference, of fitting in neither with kids nor adults, and of sitting on a powder keg of nervous antsy energy that can be turned toward either anarchy or idealism. These are too many big words to describe what this is. Honestly. It was hard, honestly, to even just read them. But <laughs> yeah, that like guy just was say like, movie bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was a good review. <laughs> he was trying to win at Scrabble, not write a movie review. Roger Ebert said Spider Man and Superman represented democratic values. Today's kids are learning from the turtles that the world is a sinkhole of radioactive waste, that it's more reassuring to huddle together in sewers than to take your chances competing at street level, and that individuality is dangerous. Cowabunga. <laughs> Wow. That's getting getting very ideological here. Yeah, those were very... I'm going to use the word highfalutin again <laughs> for, for the second time yeah. today, which is not what I would have expected uh, <laughs> from a Ninja Turtles podcast. But those were surprisingly like verbose uh, reviews uh, about this movie that is not super literary, we'll say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, this movie is illiterate, actually. For 15 years... 
you have been confined below. Now the outside world beckons your teenage minds. Yeah. yeah. But they could never understand. Their world can never be ours. Uh, not even pizza? Hmm. Pizza's okay. Ha, oh, man, give a guy a heart attack. <laughs> Here, let me get you guys some napkins. What for? So what'd you guys think? I just want to begin because of the very beginning of this movie. TMNT 2 begins with an almost documentary style expose of New York City's renowned and bustling nightlife, which <laughs> as we all know, consists solely of eating pizza. I kind of like that, that, that it was the language of New York is eating pizza. <laughs> I love, I loved it so much. Every single person whose face is in focus for the first two minutes of this movie is eating pizza. <laughs> And that's accurate as someone who lived in New York City for a couple of years. Oh, yes. No matter what you're doing in any given day, at some point you will eat pizza. Yeah, I think this might be actually why I moved to New York. Like when Becky said that she moved to California because of the wizard. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I think this is secretly the reason like it planted it in my brain. Like, this is the place for you. Did, did you go to New York seeking the ooze? <laughs> yes, the secret of the ooze is actually just like very melty pizza. <laughs> God. Oh, God. Just going to note one other thing here. Really, there is not much of a pretense of a real plot or characters in any of these movies. This one is not really an exception. But the pizza delivery guy, who's like one of the main characters in this movie, it's such a fucking dweeb watching it now. And he's like so mean to girls on the street and stuff. But I realized when I was watching this that he was one of the first crushes I had when I was Oh my God, really? What? (laughs) I love it. First guy crushes or first crushes ever? First guy crushes. Because, like, I remembered him so clearly from, like, even watching this movie in the theater. Wow. And it wasn't until I, like, rewatched this movie now. And I'm like, like, why did he stand out so much? Oh, I just really thought he was cute. <laughs> uh, so, basically, what you're telling me is you guys were all uh, slimed. Mm-hmm. It wasn't slime. It was ooze. And there's more of it out there. Yeah. Where? Well, we're not sure. See, there's this sort of clan of ninja thieves. A really secret group that call themselves... The foot? Huh? You've heard of them? Yeah, well, the word is out on the street that these guys are looking for anybody they can find with martial arts talent. Hmm. Especially teenagers. Yeah, this character, when I was thinking back on this movie, like as an adult before I rewatched it, I like had no memory. Like I would never have like mentioned this character again. But then as soon as he popped up, I was like, oh yeah, that guy. Like I actually thought it was a pretty smart move to like include a teenager, like a real human teenager in this because it's yes. a relatable character for a pizza kids. delivery driver i mean yeah. pizza delivery driver makes sense for how he could you know meet up with the turtles and also like it's kind of nice that there's like a genuine like asian character yeah, in this movie. That too. like i realized like one genuine asian you know, like he was one of few asian american characters that i ever saw in movies growing up yeah and like if this movie is gonna like appropriate so much asian culture like it's nice to have an actual like asian american who seems like a normal human being and not like an evil like warlord or whatever so yeah i mean (laughs) right right i think it was good um speaking of crushes april (laughs) o'neill was recast and i was very pleased as a (laughs) six-year-old 
<laughs> this is hashtag Chris is April O'Neil. Chris's crushes the podcast. <laughs> Chris's crushes. My note is in capitals. It is hot April. <laughs> hot April in the city. Paige Turco is definitely my April O'Neil. I still look at her. She's like more like Paige Turner. She is beautiful. She is everything I wanted in a generic <laughs> personality-less TV reporter. But I, I think she she just like embodies like the right spirit of it. Like she's just like she like walks in when the turtles are all there. She like knows all their personalities. Like she's like the cool female BFF. Like it's not quite as weird. I don't feel like they're as horny for her in this movie. I feel like they got it right with this April. And I, I have to say, well done, filmmakers. On they don't look that different to me. What? They really don't look all that different. No, I'm sorry, Chris. I mean, I knew I'm it was sorry, a different Chris. person, but like, it didn't seem like it was like so far. Night in and a, in a day, direction. Becky. Night and day. <laughs> I don't see it. <laughs> oh my God. Well, as a five to six year old, I could not disagree <laughs> with you more. Well, my thoughts on this movie are. Chris sent us a big list of like turtle toys and like the comic book and like extra stuff to look at. After watching the first movie, I watched the MC Hammer music video that accompanied the first movie and I went into an MC Hammer um, wormhole (laughs) watching it. I was the hammer zone. I was fascinated by MC Hammer and just his whole thing. And I was like, he's an actually really good dancer. And like, then I watched the, you can't touch this video. And I was like, this song holds up. And I was like, can we just talk about MC Hammer? And like, I want to hear about MC Hammer's story. And I don't want to spend any more time on the turtles. And I had to watch the second movie still. And I was so sad. (laughs) Uh, But what about Vanilla Ice? (laughs) Well... I don't think he's anywhere near as talented as MC Hammer, but that is a whole other podcast. Um, This movie is garbage. I hated it twice as much. (laughs) I hated it. Oh, come on. It was twice as hard. I think there's a fat joke like one minute into the movie. And now I can't even remember what it was. I just wrote fat joke one minute into this movie in my notes. I was just like, this is just, this is just so, so hard to get through. It was it was worse, and I, I I mean sorry about your crush Seth, but like he was a terrible actor, and his character was was terrible. Oh, he was terrible. He was awful. Terrible. And one thing I noticed about him and almost every other character with a speaking role in this movie is that they all talk to themselves constantly. <laughs> like a lot of the dialogue is not actually one person speaking to another person. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a, a fight scene where he kicks a bunch of guys' asses and then yells out loud to himself. Did I forget to mention that I studied martial arts? Like he was reminding himself that he did that. They were not discussing their hobbies before this fight scene. Um, it doesn't even make an effort to be a movie that was screen written. Is that a is that a negative review, Seth? <laughs> like what is your what's your overall on this movie? Overall I still felt more entertained by this movie than by the first one. Oh wow. There were a few moments I just had to capture clips of on my phone because they were way too unintentionally funny. And here's the first one. Oh, we we all know what that one is. <laughs> before before you sent it to in our group chat, I I already knew like what clip it was going to be. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and we'll play it right now. <laughs> oh, oh man. Oh, oh April, you spoiled our surprise. We're gonna split everything up. Thanks, guys. Uh, we're splinter. He's been up on the roof ever since he saw your report. 
Really? Doing what? Coming to a decision. It was terrible. It was manifestly terrible, but there were some great unintentional comedy moments. Uh, Also, there was one line that genuinely made me laugh a lot. Uh, One of the plot lines is that the Shredder gets a hold of a lot of the ooze, which is the chemical solution that mutated the turtles and Splinter. And his whole plan is to kidnap animals and use it on wild animals and do like death matches or (laughs) ultimate fights between these mutated animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he has this line that the next fight will be freak against freak. (laughs) Uh, And I truly loved that. That just gave me joy. (laughs) Aren't these enough for your vengeance? The foot have already failed against them. I have failed. But the next time will be different. The next fight will be freak. Just freak. That just gave me joy. Mm-hmm. He also uh, shouts, babies, they're babies, which I also appreciated. <laughs> yes, come forward. Attack me if you will. When it is over, you will call me master. Mama? That was my favorite one. That was the other video clip I recorded, Chris. Oh, I thought there was another that. genuinely funny line, which is Kino does some like ninja moves and then says, I learned that from a rat, which I think gets the spirit of this. Yeah! Is she all right? Kino, I told you this I know, is all- I know. This is not my fight. At last. Come on, let's go. I'm coming. I learned that from a rat. Later, Kino, dude. I really enjoyed this movie. I don't know. Really? Yes. Yeah. I found I Chris, I'm much closer to your side on this one. But like in a bad way, like you thought it was so bad it's good? Well, I mean it's goofy. I don't I don't know that it's bad, but it's I mean it's not good. You don't know that it's bad. I I know that it's bad, Chris. I can go that far. (laughs) I can I can admit that I'm man. Well, enough. to me, it's like it's a good kids movie. It's a good Ninja Turtles movie. Like this is what a Ninja Turtles movie should be, which is not as dark as the first one, and just like go- it's silly, it's goofy. I don't know that I would enjoy it like without any context, like now. But like as a like to me, like this was like you guys have described watching Back to the Future or Gremlins as like a fun watch because you liked it when you were kids. And to me, like, I know that I watched this many more times than the first one when I was a kid because like this was just so much lighter. I did too. And much more fun to watch. So, and it also reminded me kind of of the better parts of like the Joel Schumacher Batman movies, which are like bad, but like they have very watchable. There are better parts. (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to defend these movies in any like real way, but I just, the property is already ridiculous, right? Like it's a Ninja Turtles movie. And I think that this is exactly what that should be. Like it has a rap sequence with Vanilla Ice in his screen debut. It has like (laughs) stupid jokes. And yeah, I mean, I was, I was thoroughly entertained watching this. That's all I can say. Chris, I actually think your Schumacher comparison is completely spot on. Like, I think that of all of the movies, this one leans into the kind of manic side of the goofiness and not like the manic violence so much. I think it's mostly the same level of bad overall and and, uh, the same level of like unsuccessful and like kind of plot by numbers, paint by numbers. But I just kind of enjoy more of the numbers in it. Also, I remember that when I saw it as a kid in the theaters, the Super Shredder moment was like such a big thing. Oh, yeah. Because he became like a gigantic like Godzilla-like creature all of a sudden. That was super cool when you were six and watching this in the theater. Exactly. Exactly. It like blew my mind. The only other note I had on this, there are a couple other hilarious cameos. Susie Essman from Curb Your Enthusiasm is in one scene of this. (laughs) The other funny one was the character who recruits for the Foot Clan is played by Dewey Weber, and this is his first movie credit. I don't expect either of my co-hosts to know his name, um, but both of my co-hosts know him from another film we've covered on this very podcast. Showgirls. (gasps) What does he play? He is Jeff, the guy in the very beginning of Showgirls in the truck who (gasps) Nomi hitches a ride with. Melty Elvis? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Melty Elvis. (laughs) Oh my God. Wait, I don't remember him in this movie. Was he Melty Elvis looking in this movie? Much less so because he was younger. He hadn't melted as much yet. He hadn't (laughs) been driving in the hot Vegas sun that whole time. I love love a Showgirls uh, actor popping up in other movies. I I miss that. Yeah, I do too. I do too. That makes me really crazy of like Nomi like hooking up with the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> her weapon is that little blade that she has and her sass yeah. and her fries. Would she wear a bandana like around her tits? <laughs> no, she would be completely naked. Except for the bandana? <laughs> she would like fuck everyone to death like she does in the jacuzzi. <laughs> she would change her name to April Onomi and she would apply to be a newscaster with no experience, but write in based on personality oh and get it. Can we just talk about showgirls? <laughs> Can we please just do another showgirls episode? <laughs> Shogun showgirls. <laughs> I've got more to say. I've got way more to say. <laughs> uh, about this movie? No, on showgirls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing more to say about this movie. Lyrics. Fill in the gap. Drop that bass and get the ninja rap. Just feel it. If you know what I mean, give it up. For the heroes in green, just flow in. Smooth with the power, kicking it up hour after hour. Cause in this life, there's only one winner. You better aim quick, you can hit the center. In it to win it with a team of four ninja turtles that you got at the door. It's ninja, ninja, rap. Ninja, ninja, rap. Ninja, ninja, rap. I just got no joy out of these movies. I don't know. I think you got to be in a certain frame of mind maybe to, to enjoy. And I just got nothing out of these movies. Becky, why can't you be a six-year-old boy? <laughs> I just can't. And, you know, I did like these movies when I was young, but maybe I wasn't like so obsessed with the turtles that it didn't really stick with me. Yeah. But, like, yeah, nothing. I got nothing out of these. I never want to watch them again. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I mean, I think it is, it is kind of a boy thing. I don't know, that that whole mentality of like, to me, I keep thinking of Star Wars and there are, like, this is a pale imitation kind of of Star Wars in, in, in some ways. And But there are these like mythic kind of seeming moments of like the shredder hand, like coming out of the garbage, like where it is like evoking sort of a comic book kind of feel or just like a action movie kind of feel. And I I do feel like it's just like something that's definitely geared much more toward boys than toward girls. And I guess that even pervades like as adults, like I think it's only because like we have a certain history with this, but still it's, it's funny that that kind of carries through and that like Seth and I can enjoy this in a way that that you don't. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> so going into this episode, I did not have very many specific memories of the turtles, like the way that I did for some other things that we talked about, you know, that when we were kids that I was passionate about like Jurassic Park or Batman, because those are things that I carried with me into adulthood. And I think a lot of us did too. Like we can still watch those things. This is something I definitely left behind as a child. probably rightfully but a lot like the video games episode like back then i mentioned that like there was all this information locked in my brain that i didn't realize was still there until like we started looking at those video games and i was like oh i know where the hidden things are and that's how i felt about ninja Mm. turtles too is that like when i was going back and researching this like i remembered everything but it was all stuff that i would never have thought about again unless we had (laughs) done this topic and again i'm sort of like mad that my brain and space is taken up with that because i could i could use that to remember other things yeah seriously that's a feeling i have a lot when we get together to make the shows i'm like why do i actually remember this and could i have ever written that over in my brain space yeah and so the weird thing about ninja turtles is that these movies like i did remember certain things and certain things felt iconic but what i really like when i was researching this topic like what really like hit me on this nostalgic level was not like the actual stuff but it was the toys and the merch and all of this just like the phenomenon in general like it's honestly nuts i think how much the ninja turtles dominated pop culture for kids in the 90s like to the extent that i think disney does now like it was everything like i i can't think of another property that has been quite this pervasive like maybe star wars which we kind of missed because we were a little bit old for that but oh like, i even didn't like, miss it <laughs> well i mean it was still there but like the first wave of it i think was even bigger than we experienced but i like to me at least like i i saw a lot more ninja turtle stuff than than star wars stuff so like i sent you guys a bunch of the toys I had pretty much every single toy that I sent you guys, which I would never again. What? I would I would not have thought of any of those toys again, but I kept clicking through There was like 300 them. toys. Yeah, I know. It's shocking. What? There's a list of the oh 20 God. raddest Teenage Mutant Digital figures, and I had all 20 of them. Like, it is insane. Oh, my God. Wow. Bad dudes! It's the Turtles Party Wagon! The wacky attack van means good times for the green guys and hard knocks for the foot, especially with the tenderizer. Yeah, and it's a big hit everywhere we go. And look, here comes the turtle cycle with its working handlebar slingshot and armored sidecar. It'll drive Shredder crazy! Yeah, let's step on it! Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles! Vehicles and figures each sold separately from Playmates. I was looking through that list and these are the ones I thought were very funny because I they were the lesser known TMNT villains. Napoleon Bonafrog. Had it. <laughs> Ray Filet, which was a fish. Uh-huh, had it. I remember the fish. And Scumbug. 
Yeah, I think I had that too. I'm, I would need visual confirmation. And there was literally one female character. <laughs> one female character toy. Besides April or just April? No, just April. I think there's maybe one from the third movie because there's a female character in that. I don't know. I looked through this list and it just made me mad. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's a different world now. And, you know, they, I think there are Ninja Turtle shows on right now. Maybe they do have like female villains or just more female characters. But there's no reason they can't have a female character. Well, at some point they did the add a female Ninja Turtle and they named her Venus de Milo. But that irritated me. So not a painter. Oh, no, she is a statue, which I think is very sexist. Yeah. <laughs> she's an object. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's an object. Yeah, literally. An object with like, no Like, I get arms. what they're going for, like, around the same time period. But, yeah, not... I mean, it was probably hard to, like, find, like, a female artist in the Italian Renaissance, because obviously it was, like, very male-dominated. But still, like, I feel like... They couldn't call her O'Keefe. <laughs> <laughs> Frida. Frida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be... Here I'm putting I put female painter Renaissance. She or she could have been named <laughs> Gentileschi Fontana. Uh, just you know the famous trips off the tongue that one. The famous Anguissola. <laughs> I think we're discovering why they went with Venus de Milo. Yeah, so I I looked through the toys. Some of the toys that I found were a punk rock Donatello, a beachcomber Michelangelo, a cop Leonardo called Make My Day Leo. A clown Michelangelo. Oh my God. Michelangelo in a sombrero. Cavewoman April O'Neil. A Civil War era Yankee soldier Raphael. A line of military <laughs> turtles. What? A line of universal monster turtles. A line of Star Trek crossover turtles. A sewer playset. The party wagon. A blimp. The technodrome. An assault vehicle that shot <laughs> pizzas. Mutant ducks, bulls, geckos, moles, stingrays, worms. And many of these are selling for like thousands of dollars now. Which I had most of these toys, and that wow. makes me kind of upset. Wow. What was the name of the van? The party wagon. Yeah, I had the van. Mm-hmm. I had the party wagon, not the pussy wagon. <laughs> I mean, what's the difference, really? <laughs> I did not have hundreds of toys, but I definitely had a complete set of each of the turtles. I had like Usagi Ojimbo, who was like a mutated rabbit ninja. Oh, yeah, I had that. And I had some of the bad guys. I never had Krang, but I always wanted Krang because that action figure was like extra tall. It was like a foot tall. <laughs> Krang is is kind of my favorite character, I think, of this whole thing. He is just so no, fucking disgusting. weird. <laughs> Gross. I needed to look up what this Venus de Milo character looked like because I've never heard of it before. She has human breasts. She's a turtle. They lay eggs. Why does she have human breasts? That's all. (laughs) She's a mutant. So she's like, I guess, crossed with human DNA. So other merch that I found was Ninja Turtle cereal that came with a turtle shaped bowl, which I definitely had the turtle shaped bowls. There was a turtle ice cream you could get from the ice cream man. That was like Leonardo with like, I think gumball eyes. I remember oh, that. That, that I remember. I definitely yeah. got that. There were green Hostess pudding pies that looked disgusting. <laughs> there was a Chef Boyardee Ninja Turtles SpaghettiOs, which I also definitely ate on the regular. Ew. There were also, as we talked about a little bit earlier, Ninja Turtles video games. And these were a huge part of my childhood as well. The original game from 1989, where you're looking down kind of from above and you switch between playing the different turtles. 
I think that was the one that Mike was uh, very upset about. I don't remember being quite so upset. If you go on YouTube, there's like this, if you do like Ninja Turtle game fail or something, and he walks through why it's impossible to play. Like there's literally part, it's like so badly programmed. You can't beat it. Like you can't, you can't, there's parts where like you can't jump over like there's a hole and you you keep falling over and over and then he realized you could just walk across it like it makes no sense and there's like part where you literally cannot do a move unless you're like Donatello or somebody <laughs> yeah it's like so badly programmed and also they like made up villains that didn't exist and didn't use the theme song like why even bother i loved it so much i know i liked it too <laughs> like i mentioned earlier you're a like, little kid looking at the playthrough videos of these games like i played all of these games so many times growing up and i was never able to beat any of them but i never cared um i just loved getting to be those characters and do the fighting and kicky punchy <laughs> And also they were all like multiplayer games. So those were definitely the kinds of games that like when I would go visit my friends of the family who lived in Arkansas in the summer, like we would go because they had a Nintendo there and they had that game. So I always loved playing it there. I would love playing the arcade game because Chuck E. Cheese had the arcade game. So I like played that like every time I had a birthday party there, which was several times. Um, (laughs) I stopped doing that a couple years ago. (laughs) But I just really loved those old school video games. Yeah, the arcade game was released for Nintendo in 1980. I definitely played the arcade game in the skating rink that I think I've mentioned before on this oh, podcast. Yeah. But like that was also where I played the Simpsons game. But the Ninja Turtle game was like everything for me. Like I, I don't know how many hours I spent playing the Nintendo game, but it like it still looks fun. Like watching the playthrough, I was still like, I want to play that right now. <laughs> Some of those settings like there's a snowy one and i just like like as soon as even like the the villain came up who i don't think is necessarily a villain from like the show or anything but it was just like i remember that guy and uh last but not least i would like to talk about the music of the ninja turtles which was a surprisingly (laughs) big aspect of uh the whole phenomenon disneyland the mgm studios had ninja turtles themed attraction starting in 1990 which i remember visiting obviously like the ninja turtles were not like a Disney property, but they were popular enough that Disney was like, yeah, we have to have them at our park. So they license them or, you know, however that deal works out in, in order to make them appear there. Also in 1990, the coming out of their shells tour debuted at radio city music hall. <laughs> it was sponsored by pizza hut. Of course. I see you guys some of this music. This music is not what I was expecting from a Ninja Turtles concert. <laughs> it's very, I, I, let me just say, it is very Kate Bush in a way that I was <laughs> not expecting. Um, the bass Bush. sound in all of those songs is exactly Kate Bush. And even a lot of the like chord progressions. And I swear, like I was imagining a music video with like fog machines going, April O'Neil's leaping. Yeah, it, it needed to be very like Sinead O'Connor or something. <laughs> yes. Yes. It should have been more Sinead. Uh yeah, I mean I didn't make the Kate Bush comparison, but I, I felt it like it was like very like Springsteen. Like like <laughs> it just felt like the turtle equivalent to like working down at the docks after a long day. <laughs> Like, <laughs> the lyrics like most of them you would never have any idea that this was like about turtles like because they're very like they could be <laughs> or ninjas they could be just like normal pops on on the radio they're actually like i think decent it's like some of them at least are like decent pop songs that like you could hear 
like new kids on the block or something singing. Like they, they didn't sound like so <laughs> kid friendly. You're also right that like the guy, all of the singing voices definitely had a very Springsteenian like lived in quality to them. <laughs> These sounded like characters who'd seen some shit. Yeah, exactly. Like they were much more emotionally resonant songs than you would normally. <laughs> yes. Expect. Yes. It was. It was as though the violence of the comic books had been happening in the stage play. It doesn't actually seem to happen in the stage play, but they they carry that weight with them. Uh, yeah, I definitely had that soundtrack uh, from Pizza Hut uh, on cassette tape. <laughs> Amazing. That tour was followed by the Getting Down in Your Town tour in 1992. <laughs> wow. And uh, most terrifying of all was 1994's We Wish You a Turtle Christmas. <laughs> Did I send you guys a clip of this? Oh, no. Okay, I, no. I'm going to do it right now because you, you must watch this. It's it's worse than you are expecting. Hey kids, what do you think? Do we need more lights? We need more lights. They're coming, they're coming. Hey kids, how about helping me sing my favorite Christmas song? Take the whole with pepperoni. Fa la 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 la. Mustard, eggplant, and baloney. Fa la 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 la. Santa Claus will bring his reindeer. Fa la 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 la. I don't want to watch this anymore. I'm going to have nightmares. <laughs> oh my God, this music. Reggae. Yeah, so I guess being like Italian and Japanese was not enough because they suddenly became Jamaican as well. <sighs> Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Jamaican me totally. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know this existed ever, ever. I don't think I did either, because this was ninety-four and I think I had passed out of my my turtle phase. Like this was the death now, I believe, of the <sighs> Also, the suits that they're wearing make it look like they are Ninja Turtle action figures come to life, not that they are Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Yeah, they're gross. They have, like, the articulations of their body parts. It is very jarring. Everything about it is very wrong. (laughs) 
So at some point after the heyday of the Ninja Turtles, there was an ecological crisis in the UK. Too many people had bought pet turtles and then got bored with them and set them (laughs) free, which I think is a good metaphor for the franchise, where it just kind of, (laughs) the luster wore off. And this Christmas special, it, it had just gone too far. The third Ninja Turtles movie was released in 1993, grossing $65 million. It was even more poorly reviewed than the others. Did any of us end up watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, Turtles in Time? I didn't get to it. I didn't know if, if it was streaming or not anywhere. No, I didn't watch it. This is the worst rescue I've ever had. I think it's wild a frog. I hope it wasn't an ancestor. New Line Cinema presents Allegorama. The four greatest turtles. Hey, all right. Yeah. It's not just a job, it's an adventure. Ever to go down in history. It's just your ordinary uh, time travel equal mass displacement kind of thing. Kids. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. Help, I'm a turtle and I can't get up. I definitely watched the movie growing up. They they go t- in, back in time, Turtles in Time. I'll just give you the briefest, briefest thing. It it is Back to the Future three. <laughs> it is, <laughs> but just like Japan, a, right? Back to the Future, yeah. But it just in samurai times in Japan during some period of time that seems like the late eighteen hundreds, but also more ancient. But also there is a British mercenary band of thieves, and they have rifles. The soundtrack even sounds western. Hmm. There's like a, a Clint Eastwood joke or two, and again, it's just rife with decades old pop culture references. So it was clearly like one of those things that was trying to simultaneously appeal to the children they wanted to pitch toys to and the adults who were going to take them to the movie. That's funny because I actually made that comparison just in my own mind as well that it seemed very Back to the Future 3 of like, we've got the first two movies and now we're kind of out of ideas so let's go way back in time to like a somewhat familiar time period but just do like our shtick back then instead. Yeah, no, that's literally it. Like, even at this point, like, I know that I saw this movie in theaters, but at the time, like, I just, I wasn't quite as into it. Like, I don't think I ever bought it on video or anything. Like, kids just kind of grew out of it. But the turtles did not go away. There are still comics (laughs) and cartoons. There was a 2007 computer animated film uh, featuring the voices of Chris Evans as Casey Jones and Sarah Michelle Gellar as April O'Neil, which in theory is, you know, some sort of like weird confluence of all of the things that I love. But (laughs) again, yeah, but, you know, it just came at the wrong time. Like I I tried watching some of this movie and I was like, you know, I'm good. I I don't need it that badly. Wow. You pass on SMG content? I did. (laughs) I did. I, I could not quite get through that movie. Wow. There was also a 2014 reboot produced by Michael Bay, starring Megan Fox as April, plus Will Arnett and and Whoopi Goldberg, also Johnny Knoxville as one of the turtles. (laughs) I saw this movie, I think... I think because there was a riff tracks and we thought it would be funny to watch and it was not. It was just depressing and boring and and gross. Yeah. I have never seen this. Thankfully, I never will. And I, it, I'm good that way. Like legit gross. <laughs> it, it's awful. I mean, it, it's revolting. It, it's so weird to me because like <laughs> both like Transformers and Intrals were like some of the things I loved most as kids and they're not you know, things that I think about a lot as adults, but Michael Bay has managed to like make films that like, I'm not 
remotely interested in even seeing as an adult. And that has to be, that like is a special talent. So like take something that kids love and just make it so bad that the biggest fans of them don't even want to see them when they actually come out as movies. I like, I can't even describe like how, like the turtles are like hideous. Like they are truly hideous and and just monstrous, straight up monstrous and very deliberately frightening. Yeah. It's awful. Yeah. And somehow I watched both of the movies, (gasps) that one and the the 2016 sequel, which added uh, Lori Linney. What are you doing to yourself? Wow. Uh, Okay, Chris, I thought I was masochistic watching TMNT3, but you've taken the cake, sir. It was like fascinating. Like I I just couldn't look away. It was like a, a... a, a car wreck or something like it was like Becky said with the first Ninja Turtle movie like I watched it in like four or five pieces because I couldn't stand it for very long but mm-hmm. just like seeing this but like made into like this epic like Transformers like thing where it's like Shredder is basically like a robot and they're like fighting on skyscrapers and like like swinging around the city like Spider-Man I'm like how do they they don't have Awful. like the web things like how do they have big weird turtle feet <laughs> like how do they even grab onto things but it uh, <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, it's not worth questioning. <laughs> so like, unlike a lot of things, I think the weird thing about Ninja Turtles is that it's hard to find what is the good version. <laughs> like usually it's like, okay, well the comic was good and you understand like where this idea came from. But like, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there has yet to be like quite the definitive, like Ninja Turtles thing. Like maybe it's just, it's, maybe it's just not a good idea overall. It's not a good idea. It's it's so ridiculous. Yeah. I think it's and like, what, it's at most it's an SNL sketch worthy idea. There's not that much grist to be milled for a story that's just based on that until you make all the toys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the second, like the secret of the ooze kind of got the closest to like what a movie should be. But like really, like the cartoon, like, it feels like it exists like for kids. It's a cartoon. It's a it's a silly idea. And if kids like it, that's fine. But I'm like I'm baffled by like how this has become such a thing. Like I I can't think of anything that has had quite this like staying power in pop culture besides Disney. And I think that's insane. Well, there's plenty of things like Barbie is still a thing. There's going to be a Barbie movie. You know, lots of toys that we loved are you know they have they ebb and flow in pop culture. Yeah, but Barbie was always just like dolls. Like she hasn't, like, I know there've been like direct to video things, but like there hasn't, like she hasn't been like such a, like a franchise. Like it's like, she's kind of mostly been one thing, but like this was like dominated, like so many, like music, fast food tie-ins, movies, TV, like toys, like everything, like in the way that Disney does now. But I find it just so fascinating that this is the thing that did that. Yeah, what's wrong with everyone? <laughs> <laughs> and I don't I don't know, like the one thing that I could kind of think of is that like unlike a lot of stories, like there's four of them instead of one, like a lot of times it's like the hero's journey and it's like Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter and this one has four different personality types, so maybe like people, I don't know, like like the brotherhood aspect where there's all different types of people fighting together. There's a turtle for everyone. Or, I don't know, maybe it's just a fluke. <laughs> that was the best I could come up with. I'm going to go with fluke. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's just a total fluke. Like they could have gone that route and actually developed them as like different competing personalities who have to learn to work together to make one uh, cohesive whole, you know? And like, that's very much what adolescence is about is those different parts of yourself, like being super loud and, and just developing and just coming to the surface for the first time. <laughs> coming out of your shell, for example. Exactly. If they did a dark, gritty reboot, mm-hmm. it is a thing that could potentially work and could sustain a movie or a franchise to some degree. It would just have to be a actually funny and be like not the the Michael Bay everything blowing up fascist insanity world. There would have to be actual like cleverness to it, an actual story, and you know they would actually have to develop those turtles as different characters and not just like pieces on the game board yeah i really felt like they were struggling to like insert those personalities instead of like using them as story material like like leonardo is supposed to be the leader but i was like but why like i want to see his resume like what about him makes (laughs) him a leader like he doesn't like they it's just sort of in name only, you know, it's, it's not like they're actually like deeply ingrained and, and in a lot of like the stuff, like it feels like they all kind of have the same personality with like very, very slightly di- slight differences, but with different bandanas, <laughs> that's literally it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it started as a joke and I kind of think it still is, like, yeah. but Laird and Eastman must be so rich right now. So, you know, good on them. <laughs> Good on them. Hope they're doing super well during all of this. <laughs> so I think that concludes our turtle talk. Very much so. <laughs> Hopefully you got everything out that you needed to say. And uh, we will talk about a, another equally fascinating property. Because we recently <laughs> held a Space Jam watch party. A Space Jam Jam. Yeah. It was our first Netflix watch party. So thank you to those that showed up to party with us. Everybody get up, it's time to slam now We got a real jam going down Welcome to the Space Jam Here's your chance, do your dance at the Space Jam Alright Uh, what did you guys think of Space Jam watching it as adults? <laughs> well, if you were in the watch party, then you know what we thought. <laughs> Check the transcripts. <laughs> <laughs> My biggest takeaway was that they tried so hard to make Michael Jordan seem like an everyman. <laughs> he lived in a nice suburban house, but they're trying to make me believe that he doesn't live on a villa on an island somewhere. And the island is his. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, that was implied. Like that literally the mailman is like, hi, Michael. Like, And then at some point he's like staying in a hotel and the hotel is like a cabin, like motel. Like you're telling me he wouldn't stay at the plaza. <laughs> Like, they tried so hard to make him into, like, this relatable person. Also, like, I was just, they honestly tried to make him into a leading man. They tried to make him, like, (laughs) the leading man of a movie. 
He cannot carry a movie, even with the entire arsenal of the Looney Tunes catalog trying to like lift him up. And that's Air Jordan we're talking about. <laughs> He's charismatic, like especially in real life. Like I've seen interviews with him and stuff, but he cannot act. And also the fact that basically this whole movie is him against a green screen, I feel like makes that impossible mission even more impossible. Oh, yeah. It did him no favors to not have like people to act. <laughs> off of yes yeah they needed an actual like actor playing a character who is like his best friend or whatever to like bring him along on this journey it was bill murray but he wasn't like in the movie very much like they needed no they needed more murray yeah every movie needs more murray (laughs) yeah like someone who is like the main character of the movie and then michael jordan is along with him and they can play off of each other as like humans but like they needed like an actual (laughs) actor to anchor this movie because they already have cartoons, yeah. which doesn't do it. And then they have a non-actor as the main human. And he's also, like, he's practically a cartoon himself because he's, like, this amazing athlete who, like, is larger than life and not relatable at all. So it's like you need an actual person who you can relate to amongst all this, like, craziness. Wait, can we just briefly, can we explain the plot of Space Jam? I don't know, can <laughs> <Yeah>. we? So- <laughs> When we when we were in our watch party, I remember saying like clearly the goal was put Michael Jordan in a movie with Looney Tunes. And the writers came up with this story where there's aliens that want to imprison the Looney Tunes and put them like in their zoo. Right? And the, then yeah, the, they're called the Monstars. The Monstars. They're like little itty bitty things. And then the Looney Tunes decide, no, you need to beat us in a game of sports or something. That's the rules. And they're like, okay, what sport? And they're like, well, these guys are little, so let's play basketball. You know, as opposed to they literally are cartoon characters. They could come up with like a fake sport and just win. But they're like basketball. And then they're like, okay. And then the little guys like suck up the souls of real basketball players to like become giant giants. I believe that's how the NBA draft is done, actually. (laughs) I think that part was actually based on reality. Yeah, and then the Looney Tunes get, like, Michael Jordan to come on their side. I was just like, this is the movie? It literally could have been so many other different things. (laughs) It is the most, like, convoluted nonsense plot imaginable. Why did it have to be in... uh, Did it have to be called Space Jam? It couldn't have called like, been called like Looney Jam, and it could take place on Earth. Looney balls. Looney balls. Looney balls. <laughs> I would have watched Looney balls. It was the strangest plot. I do wonder if that plot came first or the title Space Jam came first, because it kind of feels like the title Space Jam came first, and they're like, okay, what? Oh yeah, what is this yeah. going to be about? That may be right, Chris. It may have been like fully reverse engineered from sure. not from that premise, but just from that title. <laughs> I, I bet you're not wrong. I bet you're not wrong. I I just love that. It, like I was just like I already knew the Looney Tunes would be like obnoxious and not really hold up because that kind of humor like doesn't super hold up, especially not at that time period. Mm. I don't know. I guess people were really into Looney Tunes in the nineties. 
Well, but let's pause on that point for a second, Becky. Because um, in the 90s, aside from like Animaniacs, which we talked about earlier, the Looney Tunes brand and franchise and those characters weren't really as prominent in animation. Where I saw them all the most was in merchandising. Like it became such a merchandising thing on shirts and mm-hmm. sweaters and yeah, watches. Yeah, there was the Warner Brothers store, right? Yeah, the WB store? The, exactly. The, the WB store, I feel like, really brought Looney Tunes back as a brand in a gigantic way. Like, it's not like there were ever tons of new Looney Tunes cartoons coming out at this time. It's just that that success, again, was the product that, like, stoked the fire of them saying, oh, we need to make more content now. And that was Space Jam. Doesn't, like, nostalgia work, like, every 30 years, like, something from 30 years ago comes back? And, like, wasn't, like, the 60s when Looney Tunes were, like, kind of big? I feel like the, the heyday of the Looney Tunes were the 50s and 60s. But I also feel like over time, any idea of like a set window, 20, 30 years, whatever, has gotten narrower and narrower, especially during our lifetimes. I think we were already at a point before the pandemic started where stuff would be getting like regurgitated constantly. They would reboot Spider-Man on a dime if they wanted to cast a new Spider-Man actor. So, Becky, I think what you're describing there used to hold, there used to be that distance. And it's a shame that that went away because what happens when you have some distance between a property and its newest iteration or reiteration is it gives you time to come up with new character ideas and story ideas and new approaches, and it allows you to make it a bit fresher. But the way they use the characters in Space Jam just feels like it's trapped in amber, and these characters have just been thought out after like 40 years in hibernation with no updating at all. Yeah, that's a really interesting point that you made about the Looney Tunes being so popular because I remember that. But now that you mention it, I can't think of like where it came from. At least with Ninja Turtles, like it's like, okay, like we saw the evolution of like the show becoming toys, becoming movies and all that. But this is like, I I know I had like t-shirts with like the Tasmanian devil on it. Like the Tasmanian Mm -hmm. devil was very cool Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. So is Marvin the Martian. I don't know why. Yes. Yes. I had a Tasmanian devil watch for the long longest time do you remember in clueless when she draws marvin the martian like ty or was it or is it the other guy that yes. draws it? somebody draws marvin the martian and that was in 1995 that tracks yeah that's <laughs> that true the looney tunes are popular yeah but like i think the shows were like on like reruns there was obviously space jam but i feel like this was capitalizing on them already being popular there wasn't like a movie there wasn't like a new show on i mean i guess there was tiny tunes but that wasn't really the same thing yeah like it was really weird it it was kind of weird seeing these characters again because they're actually like very gone from pop culture now which is surprising to me for some for characters who are so recognizable i don't know what warner brothers is doing really chris it kind of reminds me of what we talked about in our Disney episodes, which is like the the extent to which like Mickey and Minnie and all the old school OG Disney characters are basically like characters you see only at parks if they're, you know, they're not really all that much part of pop culture anymore, even though they're always there and always present. That's true. Like, I wonder, I mean, I would assume that kids today still know who Bugs Bunny is, but how would they? Because there's not even a park. 
I mean, I know that they're kind of associated with Six Flags, but I don't think like it's not nearly to the extent that like Mickey Mouse is associated with Disneyland. So how on earth would kids even know who these characters are? But I, I feel like they kind of do. Or maybe I'm maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe they don't at all now. You know, I would totally not be surprised if they just like disappeared entirely. Like I still associate Bugs Bunny with like Casablanca jokes, which is <laughs> right. So weird. So, like, like not being cool. Like not being cool at all. Being very square. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the thing that int- like, I think we talked about this, like introduced us to like classic movies. And like, that's where I was first exposed to like Humphrey Bogart and things like that, like decades before I like actually watched it any of those movies but yeah i mean i don't know what relevance they have now and watching them in space jam was kind of like oh is that duffy duck's personality like there was a lot less personality to most of these characters than i i would have thought it was kind of a mishmash of just like crazy characters to me like i i didn't really like come to it and say like oh bugs bunny like he's the one who does this it was just kind of like zaniness yeah and it really the comedy of it is all structured in a way that feels very much like the modern cgi anime movies of like the Shrek caliber you know it all feels completely written by committee it feels like a lot of just random jokes got thrown together and like maybe some got ad-libbed and then additionally animated in like it just feels like very much a hodgepodge of zaniness I think is the the best word to describe it Chris I think you're right yeah it kind of made me sad like I would have thought that there was more to these characters yeah I mean, I'm sure that there's better moments maybe from the cartoons to go back and revisit. But yeah, I was kind of like, oh, there's there's just not that much here. Like back in the 90s, I would have said like Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse were like rivals and they were like the two like equally like sort of titans of animation. And now I would not say that because I'm like, where who is Bugs Bunny? Like, what does he mean anymore? Where even is he anymore? Like that whole side of things has just kind of (laughs) died. We're calling you out, Bugs Bunny. Where even are you? Your move, Bugs. Well, there's going to be a new Space Jam movie called Space Jam, A New Legacy. Uh, I mean, who knows if it'll actually come out next year, but it's slated for next year. Starring LeBron James. None of that sounds remotely relevant. <laughs> Looney Balls. That's what it should be called. It should be called Balls. It really should be called Looney Balls. <laughs> Not to toot my own balls here. <laughs> so... This is mostly a question for Becky, but uh, Space Jam or Ninja Turtles? (laughs) I really hated Space Jam. I think that's her answer. It's just that's my answer. (sighs) That's my answer. You have to choose one of them. (laughs) You can make one of them go away forever. Which one is Uh, it? (laughs) Oh well, how all of the Ninja Turtle movies go away? Um, Uh, (laughs) that's a lot of movies in one one fell swoop. (laughs) Okay, Thanos. This is a really tough call. So I want to make it clear. I hate all of these movies. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that much is clear. I think I'll get rid of Space Jam. Okay. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, it's it was real obnoxious. (laughs) It's a special kind of 90s track that like is so commercial and cynical. It is. In a way that not even. I enjoyed watching it with you guys. Yeah, it was fun. I did enjoy watching it with you and I didn't enjoy Turtles at all. So maybe I would have enjoyed watching it with you guys. I think like you at least would have enjoyed like watching Vanilla Ice in the second Ninja Turtles movie. Like with us. (laughs) That's true. That, That is true. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much the turtles would have been improved by by communal enjoyment of them. Are we picking which to kill here or which to save? Which to kill. Okay. It's Mary fuck kill, but without any fucking. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I want to fuck Marvin the Martian. (laughs) I want to marry Bill Murray. (laughs) And I want to kill Space Jam too. You know? You you want to fuck... Marvin the Martian when you've got Bugs Bunny and drag? I'm not personally into drag. That's not part of my fetish landscape, Becky. Uh, okay. I don't knock anyone uh, for whom it is involving cartoon rabbits or human beings. Okay. But that's just not my bag. But yeah, I would get rid of Space Jam. It's also like neck and neck in terms of which is more cynical. Because again, Ninja Turtles is a franchise that is launched originally from a comic book, sure. But as like a franchise in movies and TV, it's entirely made and created to sell toys. Uh, So that's extremely cynical. But I feel like Space Jam is so much more cynical and has no moments where it really succeeds on its own merits. Yeah, I I mean, I agree. As much as I would say that Ninja Turtles feels like a concoction, a commercial concoction. Space Jam feels like a hundred times more of one somehow. <laughs> yeah. So I am going to uh, kill the first April O'Neil, <gasps> marry the second April O'Neil, <laughs> and fuck a three-way with Shredder and Tasmanian Devil. Oh my goodness. This got R-rated. Yeah. These kids movies that we're talking about. And no one wants to fuck the female Bugs Bunny thing that they inserted into Space Jam. I guess not. What was her name? What was her name? It should have been Jessica Rabbit, but it wasn't. (laughs) Was it also Venus de Milo? (laughs) I don't think there was a name. (laughs) She didn't deserve a name. And that's all the time we have to spend in the sewer on this episode of When We Were Young. And on our next episode, the truth is out there. As your When We Were Young hosts revisit the... Oh. Oh. What was that? Seth, you you cut out you cut out there. Yeah, no, I heard that. That's weird. The truth is not out there. The aliens are stopping you from talking about them. <gasps> it's true the government is obstructing our airwaves, making it more difficult for us to get our message out. We will be revisiting the groundbreaking Fox primetime TV series, The X-Files, starring Gillian Anderson, my forever boo, and David Duchovny, my other forever boo. We're going to have to fight for him because he's my forever boo. And the cigarette smoking man is my forever boo. So I think I think I get him all to myself. (laughs) (laughs) The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this experience, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast product. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, wherever you are in the world, and we will read your reviews on our very show. It might be a year later, but whatever. (laughs) (laughs) And you can also find us on all of the social medias, including Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even, yes, Patreon, to help support us in making more episodes of the show in the future. I've been Seth Pearson. I am Becky. And I made it funny. Ha 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 ha. Going up in a glass bowl with Camille's lips and